0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of The Yes Men. I am Lou DiPietro. To my left is Doug Williams. It's July 1st. NBA free agency is open. NHL free agency is open. And the Nets need a new head coach. That's the biggest story out of everything that's going on this week. The Nets, Jason Kidd's defection is the only way you can talk about it, to, to the Bucks, We have no choice but to lead off with this. This is the story of the hour, and, and we're not going to waste any time. On the line with us, we have Devin Karparadian from TheBrooklynGame.com with us. Devin, it's Lou and Doug. Uh, Crazy weekend.
1: Yeah, no, to say the least. Um, You know, everything has kind of fallen apart in the last 48 hours. So, you know, standard weekend in that history.
0: Yeah, you know, just right as the free agency deadline opens, it's July 1st. Here we go. Teams can talk. Oh, wait a minute.
2: Now we need a coach, too.
1: Yeah, and only to replace the guy who we thought was going to be here for 20 years.
2: Yeah. Devin, do you think that this move by Kidd had anything to do with the Nets future, or do you think this is just a classic example of somebody who was having a power trip?
1: No, I think this is everything to do with Kid's future and not the Nets future. I don't think he has you know, I, I think there's there's a certain realization that he wanted to have more control than he really deserved at any point in time. Um, and, and the funny thing about this to me is that if he'd waited Five, ten years—if you really wanted to be the president of the basketball operations—if he waited, he probably would have gotten the job. You know, he was fast tracked to this, but he's already after one year, after you know, two playoff series and one season, we see somebody who thinks he deserves ultimate control of the team. It's—it's flabbergasting. Well,
0: it's—it's it's definitely. I mean, it's a power play, not only in that you know it's something weird, but I mean, Billy King stuck up for him. I know they—they they had their their issues early in the year, and you know, there's rumors they had a blowout at one point. This is the guy that hired him. This is the guy that backed him. This is the guy that said, Jason Kidd is our coach. And now he's going, not even for Billy's job, over his head to attempt to become, you know, the grand poobah of basketball operations in Brooklyn. That didn't work out. And all of a sudden, all right, now I'm going to go to Milwaukee, where you're inheriting a 15-win team that, yeah, they they just got a, you know, they got a really good player in the draft, but they were a 15-win team last year. Kidd has coached one season in the NBA and basically took... Maybe even a better team than the Nets had the year before, to the same record and one round deeper in the playoffs. It, in a lot of people's minds, I think it just doesn't—it doesn't make sense that he would do it at all.
1: It's mind-boggling, and you know, as far as you know, a fight between King and King. I mean, management and coaches are always going to have some struggle throughout the year. If they don't, they're not doing their job. But what's interesting to me here is that. Kids thought he had this role locked up from the jump, and he obviously overplayed his hand to the Russian ownership, who very clearly, you know, who liked kid at the outset, who wanted to hire him, who loved the idea of kid as the face of the franchise. And now we're sitting here all dumbfounded that he tried to pull a stunt behind Billy King's back. And you're right, Billy has supported him throughout the year. I mean, you ask you ask him on or off the record, he has supported <laughs> kid and didn't want him fired, even when they were ten and twenty one in December. It was always going to be a process. The kid, for some reason, thought that expediting the process was a good idea, and, and there's, there's no justification for what he did um, in, in the Nets organization, and that's why once he did it, you know, there was no chance he was coming back.
2: How soon do you think the Nets need to hire a new coach in terms of getting new free agents or re-signing guys that have been on this team? Because it's not a really great-looking destination right now if you have no idea who's going to be coaching.
1: Yeah, I, I I think they're going to do it quickly. I mean, they've they're talking to Lyle Hollins now. I'm sure a couple other names will come up before everything is you know set in stone. But at the same time, I mean, this roster is pretty much set. There's not a lot of big pieces that they're going to be able to move before they get a coach anyway. I mean, you're looking at Paul Pierce, Sean Livingston, uh, Alan Anderson, um, and Andre Blatch who's going to leave. Um, you know, you're looking at those four guys pretty much, or really three because there's no more Blatch, and. And that's, and that's pretty much it. And you got the, the, your exceptions, free agents, whatever. But for the most part, the core of this team is set up. And so I think what the Nets are trying to do are, are they're trying to figure out how any next coach is going to use Darren Williams, how any next coach is going to use Burke Lopez, the guys that they have on their roster now. So I think they are going to move quickly. Billy has said they're going to move quickly. But if it takes until after the moratorium period, after free agency, you know, I think they'd rather have the right guys than just have a guy.
0: Yeah, it seems like, you know, now th- this is the thing with the timing. As you alluded to, if he had waited a few years, you know, it, it might have happened. This is year two of the Nets' two-year window. Realistically, if you look at the way their their roster is set, after this year, they have three guys under contract, two of which are expiring in Joe Johnson and Brooke Lopez. So it's mm-hmm. it's Darren Williams and nothing else after next year. That could have been where a kid maybe takes over and says, okay, I want control, I want more input, but... Now it's like this was year two of their two-year window. It even if they get the right guy, I mean, is this is this franchise kind of is it? Are we headed for 2012 again? I
1: mean, I think this is just. I mean, look, the, the way the window goes here with the is that there was always going to be. There's always a plan to have. The first four, there's a two-year window, a four-year plan, and then it resets in 2016. That's how it's always been. The Nets have never taken money beyond 2016. I don't expect them to do so in any deals because that's when everything wipes clean and they can start fresh. Now, I, I agree with you. I think it's ridiculous that Kidd thought that he could take over the basketball operations, especially now when there's not a lot of wiggle room for them to do anything. Um, but, but I think, you know, like I said, there's a two-year window. I think this year is a window in a sense that they're still going to be competitive, if not a championship depending team. And then in the next couple of years, you know, a lot of different pieces are going to kind of fall into place. Is Bert Lopez going to opt in? Uh, is Joe Johnson going to move on? And then in 2016, you've got a whole new free agent classes of guys who are, you know, franchise changers, and then they're going to have a ton of cap space to do stuff with them.
2: I personally think Lionel Hollins is the perfect pick for, pick for the coach of the Nets. I just think the, the combination of the fact that he has experience and, and also that he can kind of lay his foot down, I think this Nets roster w- would maybe have a tendency to kind of walk all over a young coach, especially, you know, people are talking about Mark Jackson. I'm not too sure that's a great idea. People are talking about Messina. Not sure that's a great idea. But I think Lionel Hollins could kind of come in and, and change the culture. What do you think? Do you think he's the, he's the right move?
1: Yeah, and I think Lionel's also – I mean, look at what the Nets has dealt with as far as coaches the last few years. You've got Avery Johnson, a guy who's always kind of scheming and um, trying to assert his own power. You've got Jason Kidd, who obviously just made one of the biggest and biggest blunders power trips in NBA history. And and Lionel Hollins is not that type of guy. He's a more of a low risk guy. He's a player development guy. He's not big on analytics. But I don't think as a coach you necessarily have to be big on analytics. I think you have to be know how to use and utilize your players. Um, and and he's a guy who you're not you're not going to worry about Lionel Hollins trying to go over Billy King's head. You know he's going to play his players. He's going to coach his team. And he might be a little you know uh, aggressive sometimes with how he how he coaches. But you know it. that he's a coach. And you know that he's going to take care of his players the best he can. So I think he's a really good fit. I, I I don't think they're done searching. I think they're probably going to look at a couple of the names. But there's a reason that we're hearing Lionel Holland, Lionel Holland, Lionel Holland. I get him, I get the impression that he was Billy's guy for a while last year before Kid came along. And now he's going to get the opportunity to really interview him and see how he can handle this roster.
0: Well, I guess the only thing we can do really is is wait and see. Like you said, Holland seems to be the front runner, But who knows what's going to happen. It's going to be... Much like Doug has said on this podcast for weeks, the NBA offseason is almost as interesting, if not more, as the regular season. And already here we are two weeks in, and we've got crazy major drama going on all throughout the league. De- <laughs> Devin, I-, I know you'll keep everyone abreast uh, of-, of everything that happens with all your stuff on com, and we thank you for coming on and sharing some time with us.
1: You got it, guys. Always happy to be with you.
0: Thanks, Devin. And once again, that was uh, Devin Carperdian of thebrooklyngame.com. You can check out – they'll be on top of everything as they have been all since since the story broke this weekend uh, of everything related to the Nets and, and the Jason Kidd uh, departure to Milwaukee. It, uh, it's still a shock, I mean, to be perfectly honest, that all this went down in the span of seemingly 48 hours in the public eye, and here it is now. The Nets are coachless. And, and heading into free agency with kind of a ship at sea with, with, with no GPS almost.
2: It really all went so fast. That's what shocked me about the story is that when it first got reported. I mean, Tim Bontemps is, is as good as it gets in terms of the Nets beat. But uh, the story came out. I was like, how real is this? Like, yep. is this really going to happen? And it did. And uh, it turns out he was doing some great reporting. And uh, you know what? It's a shocking power trip. But we don't know very many good things about Jason Kidd right. in terms of not playing point guard. Right. Um, and he did not do anything spectacular for the Nets last season. I, I wouldn't even say it's a huge loss for the Nets. What's colossal about this story is just how it went down. It's not the fact that the Nets lost the best coach in history. It's far on the contrary. It's more just about how – incredibly shocking this is. And it actually reminds me of a story a few years ago. It's going to sound weird at first, but the Joe Paterno story, mm-hmm. um, when all that news uh, broke in Penn state and, and suddenly he was removed, you started to see that, that story like kind of like a, it was like an avalanche it just kept gathering steam and then Joe Paterno died, and it was yeah. it, it all seemed like it was part of one quick story. It all happened so fast, and that's what this reminded me of. Yeah. I mean, Jason Kidd rumored to have asked for you know the to be the president of Nets basketball operations. You know, Jason Kidd allowed to negotiate with Milwaukee, and boom, he's the coach of Milwaukee. It happened so quick.
0: Yeah, we we apologize too if if the audio quality was a little weird there. Apparently, our system is acting up today and put Devin in the uh, Devin out in the solar system.
2: Yeah, he sounded like R two D two. Well, he
0: was on the phone, but. Uh, you know, he brought up a lot of great points about, you know, coaches and, and front offices go through turbulence. And, I mean, two years ago, it was Avery Johnson just got fired straight out. I mean, you know, they stuck with him, and, and this is how he repaid them. I was at the Yankee game on Saturday night, and I was checking Twitter as I was in the parking lot waiting for the traffic to, to get out. And I saw, you know, the, the tweets from from Tim Bontemps, and it, it, like you said, somebody pulled their finger out of the dike, and here came the water, and all of a sudden the town is flooded, and the citizens are are, are doomed, but that is Jason Kidd, and I, I want to read. I I pulled this off of off of an article from uh, from Bleacher Report. Actually, it's Howard Beck, who covered the Nets the first year in Brooklyn, has covered the Knicks, covered basketball in New York as a whole. Now works for you know for Turner, doing the NBA as a whole, and we see him a lot around Barclays. A- and this is what he wrote, and this is this is true. That that's the word I'm going to use. This this is true if you've been around Jason Kidd in a professional capacity. He, he, he goes on asking what's motivating kids, what made him entitled to you know, to try to run a franchise after one season. According to one net source, that's the million-dollar question, why do this at all? And, and this is the next couple paragraphs from Howard. Answers will be hard to come by, even once Kid is introduced in Milwaukee and starts talking again. Kid has never been a particularly forthcoming or reflective soul, and in interviews he speaks with a strange, almost pathological detachment and thousand-yard stare that conveys neither empathy nor interest. I think if you watch any of his post-game press conferences, I think that's where he gets that from. He goes on to say, we do know this. Emotional detachment and betrayal are as much a part of Kid's career as his pinpoint passing. He has been torching relationships and torpedoing coaches from the moment he arrived in the NBA. He clashed with Jim Clemens in Dallas. He cursed out Scott Skiles in Phoenix. He led the insurrection against Byron Scott in New Jersey. He ultimately quit on the Nets and forced a trade back to Dallas where he clashed with Avery Johnson. And the year after winning the title with the Mavericks, he reneged on a, an apparent... Verbal deal to re-sign and to go sign with the Knicks. Any or all of that being true, that's the profile of someone that you would absolutely expect to have done what he did, as shocking as it is. But it's still WTF in the minds of of everyone around with knowledge of, near, close to, intrigued by the situation.
2: It's shocking. Uh, The Nets now can go out and find a coach and... You know, like Devin and I, talk, and, and we all talked about, um, Lionel Hollins is a good option. Now, he might not take the job. He may end up in Los Angeles yep. or he may not end up coaching at all, but he's a very good option. Um, obviously, Mark Jackson's still out there. I think he, he's a great coach and will get signed by somebody, but I don't think the Nets is a great fit.
0: And Lawrence Frank is still making a million dollars a year to on a report from yeah, his block cabin or whatever Jason Kidd had him doing. but I don't see it happening because
2: what are the players supposed to think? You know, Chris Sheeran was talking about this yesterday on the Chris Sheeran show. He said, you know, how are the players supposed to respect him for a guy who's been banished to writing the TPS reports yeah. for the past year or so? So, Did he use the cover sheet properly is yeah, the question? Yeah, I, I, don't, I, I don't know. I don't yeah. see that happening. I, as good of a coach as I think Lawrence Frank is, I just don't, I don't think that's really an option.
0: Well, I mean, here we are, three weeks removed, not even from the end of the season, from the Spurs hoisting the trophy and having a parade through San Antonio and... It's, it's madness, it's chaos, it's mayhem, it's pandemonium, it's every other bad wrestling adjective you could use to describe this.
2: Yeah, and United Center right now has Carmelo's name on it, and Chicago's <laughs> trying to woo him in. We're in full full swing. NBA free agency started at midnight, uh, I guess, this morning, technically. This morning, 12.01 a.m. Um, so, again, the NBA offseason is just the trip that it always has been. It's, and it never s- ceases to amaze me.
0: And somehow in the span of... I'll go back to even last Thursday. In the span of five days, the Knicks have gone from the most ragingest dumpster fire of dumpster fires in the NBA to not even the most messed up franchise in the city. Again, another
2: thing we were talking (laughs) about yesterday. Um, Really unbelievable. And and it's good that they brought Phil Jackson in because – well, for a lot of reasons. But also because people just believe now that the Knicks are headed in the right direction. We were worried last year about the Knicks because everyone they were signing was it was part of CAA, the Creative uh, mm-hmm. Arts Agency, and uh, that was a little questionable. But now it's just like, well, Phil brought in Jose Calderon because he can run the point, and now they want to shoot the three. They want to be like the Spurs. The the all the rhetoric. rhetoric There's has changed. a
0: plan in place.
2: Exactly is, is what it is. I mean, they got two
0: very good players in the draft at at where they were, which is amazing. I mean, Cleanthony Anthony early dropping that that far is amazing. They got two guys that, that fill a need, especially if Carmelo leaves, you know, doesn't resign. And there's a plan in place. And, and one of the things I've seen about the Jason Kidd deal is maybe it's resent over the fact that Steve Kerr got a lot of money. Derek Fisher got a lot of money to come in and be the coaches. Um, but on the other hand, it's like I bought a car last year. If that car is $5,000 less this year, I can't go to the dealership and be like, I want $5,000 or else I'm returning your car. Life doesn't work that way. So if that's part of what Jason Kidd was upset about, then that's just—I mean, that's just greedy. There's no honest. way to I mean, justify
2: I, anything that he's done, Lou. Yeah,
0: I know. I mean, <sighs> I don't know. Like I said, the Knicks have gone from the you know the perennial Springfield tire fire into a team that looks like they at least have a plan to not suck in the very near future. And now the Nets are drifting in the sea of 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 what the heck. Who knows what's going to happen the rest of the summer? <laughs> but
2: that's why the summer is more. Uh, More interesting than the NBA season itself. It's just, yeah. And and it's disappointing with the Nets because, I mean, I will say, I don't think that this is a disaster for them because Jason Kidd is gone. No, on the contrary. Right. I don't think that that's like, oh, my gosh, they lost their coach. They are going to be totally misguided. Right. It's not the case at all. They had one guy for one year, and for the first— two months of the season, really didn't know what he was doing. Let's right. face it. And it's still a veteran team
0: with Garnett exactly. and Lopez and Williams and Joe Johnson and on down the line, K- Kirilenko. So it's still a veteran team that, I mean, if
2: I don't want bring to... bring the exact pieces back, Lou, yeah. and get back Brook Lopez, they could be better than they were last year.
0: I mean, I don't want to minimize things, but you th- you seemingly think anybody with any kind of coaching credentials can come in and at least have some kind of success with that team. So maybe the phrase, you don't know what you got till it's gone, maybe in this case they... They realized they got rid of something that was not good for the franchise.
2: I think now they, they've they definitely realized that. Like we don't need any type of personality like that in our business. Right.
0: Quick hit on the NHL Open Free Agency as well. Benoit Pouliot already gone from the
2: Rangers. Which I'm, I'm, uh, I, That's why I've been checking my phone. Um, incessantly since we started. Um, so the Rangers just re-signed Dominic Moore, a uh, million and a half per year. They just signed Tanner Glass, um, who's kind of a physical fourth liner. Um, And they signed a defenseman, um, Dan Boyle, right? Kostka. I don't think Kostka is a pro. I could be wrong. But they did sign Dan Boyle earlier. Um, So if
0: you put Tanner Glass and Brian Boyle, or Dan Boyle at the same time, you got Tanner Boyle. It's like the Bad News Bears out there.
2: That's that's very a, nice. That's very creative. But
0: already you see the energy. I mean, there's four, or five moves already. It's day one. I mean, this hockey moves quickly, unlike basketball. Right. Um, so you know, Rangers rebuilding, reloading, retooling, whatever you want. Richards is gone. We'll see what we'll see what comes up. That 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 might be something we get into more next week because the team might be done by next week, depending on how fa- how fast things move. Right. But uh, you know, Fast and the Furious there, but. I think we, we need to move on to something else where we're in the mode of what the hell is going on, and that's the New York Yankees, who we haven't really talked about the last couple weeks with the NBA draft, and we've been off, and we haven't really gone too, too far in depth on, on what's going on, and they're on pace to go 82-80. and 80. This is a team that went 85-77 and 77 last year and spent $500 million in free agency, and they're on pace to get worse. Injuries aside, WTF is the, is the three initials I've got.
2: Yeah, uh, I know that you have a lot – I mean, just as a little segue here, we've we've done a little pre-podcast talk about some stats. So mm-hmm. you have a lot to throw it I at our listeners, and it's all really interesting. Personally, I'm starting to wonder whether or not we can still skate by without – uh, blaming Joe Girardi a little bit um, – Back-to-back losses in which the, his choices with the bullpen and the starting pitchers have not worked out, mm-hmm. um, and these guys, these these guys in the lineup, injuries are not their concern this year. I'm sorry. I mean, you could say yes, three fifths of their rotation is out, but the rotation has not been their problem. The
0: rotation is the one that's not. The rotation
2: rough. is the one thing that could You know, rotation struggles. That would be the one thing that could bail Joe Girardi out in my mind. But if you're putting out one through nine, basically the exact lineup you went into this season with, yeah. And they're not producing. Well, then maybe there's a motivation issue, and that points right to the coach. Right.
0: I mean, there's there's a point where you can say, yeah, they have rotation issues if they're scoring four runs a game and they're 41 and 40 at the halfway point. They're not. <laughs> exactly. So, so I mean, you know, Masahiro Tanaka throws a complete game, gives up two home runs, one of which is the Yankee Stadium home run that every Yankee Stadium home run. And he loses 2-1 to one well, that's, because the offense gets five hits off
2: John Lester. That's what was so frustrating about that game is everyone's freaking out about the fact that he, he shook off the splitter and the slider and threw a fastball. Well, he only had been given one run of support the whole yeah. game. The game was tied.
0: And the guy's 11-2 and two with a 2 ERA. Right. And a 10 per ten strikeout per nine average.
2: How about killing the you know? Yankees' offense instead of killing Tanaka for giving up two runs in nine innings?
0: How about killing how Brett Gardner's uh, getting caught stealing earlier in that game possibly killed a rally because Jeter got a hit. Then, you know, things exactly. advance along the line. It, it's, it, it's frustrating as both a fan and a journalist to kind of watch the team that should be better than it is be this bad. And... The lead culprits right now, I'm sorry, are Beltran, McCann, and Soriano. I I drew a blank there because he only plays half the time at this point. Beltran, McCann, and Soriano combined have a negative 1.4 war, meaning that between the three of them who are on the hook for $130 million in the case of Beltran and McCann and were the savior of last season in Soriano— are less than if the Yankees replace them with replacement level players, they'd be forty two and thirty nine. I, I don't, ha- I, I'm, speak- I don't have any words to describe the enormous the enormity of that.
2: It's it's really unbelievable. And the, the Alfonso, well, first of all, I, I, I'm sorry to go back on the Joe Girardi thing, but I was telling Chris yesterday my problem with this team is that it it seems like there are a bunch of guys that can't get on track, right? Right. Ryan McCann, Alfonso Soriano, Carlos Beltran. Can't get on track. Beltran's got the elbow at least is kind of a mitigating circumstance. How about the fact that for some reason Joe Girardi has consistently taken these guys out of the lineup? Kelly Johnson couldn't get on track. Well, that's because Kelly Johnson didn't play for a month and a half. Yeah. You know, he he was benched for Solarte. I get it. Solarte was playing well. But in order to get everything out of these guys who are used to be starters, you have to play them. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for me to crush Alfonso Soriano for not producing, but he's playing once every four or five games. Right.
0: And, you know, the thing about that, what you just said about Solarte and Johnson, too, is that Brian Roberts is the – there's ten qualifiers in the American League among second baseman and batting average. Brian Roberts is the worst. And yet he's the one that's playing every day compared to Johnson and Solarte – Maybe because he's a switch hitter, but so is Celarte. So, all right, against lefties, maybe you don't want to play Johnson sometimes. Johnson did have to play first for a few weeks when Teixeira was out. But I, that speaks to the coach, too, that maybe there's a little bit of a messed up rotation there. Silarte was hot. Johnson was good-ish for a little while. Roberts was – got to roll the dice with a hot hand at this point. There's At this point in the season, 81 games in, there's no room for money or ego to be going into the lineup decision. It needs to be, this is the team that's going to perform the best.
2: Yeah, you notice something, Lou, if you think about it. When Solarte was on fire, Kelly Johnson was not hitting well. Why? Because Kelly Johnson was never playing. Right. When Solarte starts to cool down, Kelly Johnson's been playing well. And guess why? He's playing every day. he's been playing every day. So... I get it. You want to, people are going to say, "Well, Doug, you want them to take Ichiro and Solarte out of the lineup? They're the two of the guys that have been hitting the best for them all year." Well, that's true, but you made the decision going into the season that they were bench players. Right. If Alfonso Soriano, you think he's a starter, you're paying him like a starter, you think he's got the potential to be a starter, then start him. Yep. Because Ichiro Suzuki's not winning you any games. He hits yeah. a three he hits 300, but it's about as flat as a 300 average can get.
0: He, he's the the leading average among players with at least two plate appearances per game. He's hitting two hundred ninety one. There's not a single Yankee hitting 300. There's not a single Yankee other than Mark Teixeira on pace for 20 home runs, let alone 30 or 40. Texas on pace for 30. There, there's not a single other player on pace for 20 or 75 RBIs is going to be tough to crack. I mean, this is down the line. this isn't one or two guys. This is down the line. Yeah, struggles. Ellsbury and Gardner, who have been, if you look at their lines, they have been the same player, the exact same player, from batting average. Ellsbury's 87 for three oh two. Gardner's 86 for three oh one. Wow. Th- that's the .001 difference in their average. Ellsbury has a handful more stolen bases, Gardner has a higher OPS, because he's got seven homers. They have the same amount of extra base hits, but Gardner has seven homers and a couple more triples, and Ellsbury has more... like They've basically been the same player. And they're 1-2 in average and 2-3 in OPS among guys with 200 plate appearances on this team. Yeah. Two light-hitting, for lack of a better word, speedy top-of-the-order outfielders are leading the team in OPS
2: halfway through the season. What really grinds my gears is that Carlos Beltran still struggling and saying in interviews, yeah, the elbow is there. I can't ignore it. Well, go get it cleaned out yeah, then. Yeah, he'd be about a week and a half away from coming back from the surgery if he had just gotten it done at the at first. Right. You really are going to tell us right now that you opted out of surgery so you're just going to hit 215 for the rest of the season? No. Doesn't work like that. And get the surgery come back in August.
0: And what that does is two things. If Belt, because he's he's already shut down his throwing program, so he's not going to see the outfield anytime soon, which does three things. Number one, it limits him to being a DH, which a lot of guys have trouble adjusting to. Jorge Posada did. Uh, It seems like Soriano is, and it happens up and down the league. A lot of guys have trouble adjusting to being a DH. Number two, it really screws up the outfield defense because you either have Ichiro, who, like you said, is not winning any games for you offensively, playing right field, or you have Soriano, who, let's face it, is 38 years old and has never played right field before this year. Not exactly going to be your best option out there. Number three, it hurts the rest of the lineup when guys need a half a day off. Beltran's out of the lineup. If Derek Jeter absolutely needs to DH a day because something's, you know, his, his ankle's barking or he's tired or he's old or whatever, Beltran's out of lineup. If Teixeira's wrist gets inflamed again and he needs a half day off and he needs a DH, Beltran's out of the lineup. If anybody has insert injury or concern here and needs a half a day off, Beltran's out of the lineup. Yep, it's totally true. It it, it, it hurts the team in the long run to the point where you're, you, you just wonder, like, should he just go get this taken care of? With the, again, they're a minus one point four war between the three of them and, and Beltran's in the negative. So clearly, according to the saber metric numbers everybody loves, a replacement level player would be better for you than Carlos Beltran at this point in time.
2: And it feels like we're talking about the Knicks when I say this, but their division's terribleness has Mediocrity. allowed them has allowed them to be in the middle of it. Yeah. You know, two and a half games, but out, just like out? we talked about the Knicks, exactly. Just like we talked about the Knicks uh, you kind of have to say, well, they're really not playing well. I don't see them making a run. And and for the Yankees right now, somebody's got to get hot. Who has? Everybody has to get hot. Anybody who, has who to get has hot. Who has gone through a torrid streak besides Jacoby Ellsbury and Solarte earlier in the season? Brett Garner's just been consistent. Everyone else yep. has just been blech. Tex. Well, Tex Texas is Texas, hitting
0: 235. He's he's hitting 242 as of today. But yeah, he leads the team in home runs and RBI is going away. And that's with nobody around him offering him any protection. So it's it's him. It's but all can, him.
2: Can, can, here's the problem Texas is not hitting enough power. He's not hitting with enough power to justify hitting 240. No. We can't have that in the middle of the order. No, and he, he, has, he hasn't for a few years now, though.
0: So I mean that's something as a Yankee fan you've had to have gotten used to. He's not a two seventy hitter anymore.
2: Yeah, I mean it's just it's it, it's tough because with Beltron, if he didn't have an injury, you would say he will pick it up. He's Carlos right. Beltran, right? But if it, if it's really this the elbow, then yeah. he was he was three for four
0: with a homer on Sunday night, Beltran. That included since he hit the walk off homer against Baltimore, he's six for thirty four with three walks. So take out that three for four the other night, and he's three for 30 in his last nine games? I mean, that's that's why he's hitting 219 for the season. I mean, that's that's awful. Uh, one last thing I, I want to bring up on Soriano, because I, I had this discussion with a couple people in the office. Soriano's 38 years old, and I like I said, people have a, a trouble adjusting to a full-time DH role. And even last year when he came here, he was playing the outfield regularly but he's doing the same thing this year that ichiro did last if you look at the numbers it's kind of scary last year he was he hit 254 with 17 homers with the cubs came over here and hit 256 with 17 homers in like 35 less games was a monster on a tear this year he's 228 six homers great ichiro did the same thing he was hitting 260 in seattle when he came over in 2012 and hit 322 with a 340 on base percentage for the Yankees in the second half, then hit 262 with a 297 on base percentage last year in 155 games. He's rebounded now, but this seems to, th- this would almost scare me if I'm a Yankees fan and you hear anybody over the age of 35 in
2: trade conversation that, all right, that's great if they're a rental, but I don't want them in 2015. It's like a rental that you're stuck with. Right. And also, the, the month of June just passed without a Soriano home run. Yep. And what I was just going to say is my final point, too. Uh, Brian Roberts had a big home run last night, I guess, if the Yankees were to go on and win. But you can't call it a big home run because they ended up losing anyway. Rob Refsneider is hitting 519 in his last 10 games. He's hitting – he's hit over 330.
0: 364 at, overall at, at A.
2: At, yeah, at, at both levels. Yep. Um, 342 he's come AAA. He's going to come up soon. If Brian Roberts can't keep playing – and. It's going to become a flux between these three guys, uh, Solarte, Johnson, and and Brian Roberts. Who can play? you got to go out there and prove yourself. Solarte is more of a utility guy than the other two, so he might even be safer. But the Yankees are not above DFAing either of them, Johnson yeah. or Roberts. It, it happened happen. to Tony
0: Womack in 2005. Exactly Robinson Cano right. came up and never let go. And maybe, I mean, I know a lot of people say Ref Snyder's defense because he's a converted outfielder. He makes a lot of errors. He makes mistakes. The shift is tough, yada, yada, yada. I almost wonder if the fact that he can't play both second and third base is hurting him because Salarte can do that. Johnson can do that. So they've got guys that cover the hot corner. He comes up. He's got to take Robert's place because they don't have room on the roster for a straight second baseman. It, I mean, it's the it's guy's, bizarre.
2: The guy's raking. And, if, and it, it, this is the thing. If Brian Cashman... If the Yankees lose tonight and uh, they're 500. It's Tuesday, they're yeah. 500 and Brian Cashman looks on paper and says Alfonso Soriano is taking up a roster spot as is Brian Roberts. They're facing Solo Almonte yeah. and Rob Refsnyder. They're facing David Price which is
0: yeah, not a know, good sign. not a, not, a, not a good omen. Refsnyder, yeah, he hit 342 in Trenton hitting 364 in AAA. Jose Perella who, you know, everybody seems to love 314-7 homers in 70 games at AAA. He's having a better offensive season than Alfonso Soriano.
2: I think they view Ref Snyder as the only guy that they could come up and take somebody's job.
0: Right now, yes. But if this continues, you have to look at these guys, especially once September 1st comes, if they're still in the race. Adonis Garcia, who's been playing third base a little bit in winter ball and in the season, plays the outfield, hitting 312. Zealous Wheeler had a good spring, went to AAA, hitting 305 in AAA. Kyle Roller is hitting 287 and, and mashing bombs in AAA A. He's kind of stuck because he's a left-handed hitting first baseman, and the Yankees don't need either one of those. Zoilo's got 11 home runs and hitting .275 in AAA, like you said. He hasn't really proven himself in the limited major league time he had this year, but these guys are percolating. They're there. I know Cashman said he's not going to bring somebody up, especially ref snyder, just for a jolt, but another month from now, if this situation is continuing and these guys aren't progressing and the Yankees are still
2: within a couple games – If he's ready to shake things up, this would be something to prove it. I mean, I don't think it's a jolt. I tweeted something that got a lot of responses uh, on Sunday. I said, you know, uh, the Yankees calling up Ref Snyder would be a lot like Mookie Betts. The Yankees are getting no production out of second base or third base. Call up Ref Snyder. The Red Sox were getting no production from their outfield. They called it Mookie Betts. It's not about giving your team a jolt. It's about winning games. And if Zoilo Almonte has 11 home runs and is going to hit for power – Brian Cashman at some point has to realize I have two I have two issues I we have no production from some of our infield predi- uh, positions and we're getting no home yep. runs. Well, there's an answer staring yeah. at you in the face.
0: I've got a guy at second base who's on a one year deal who's hitting two thirty five with four home runs. I got a guy I got a guy at AAA who's hitting three forty between two levels with ten home runs. Does it translate to the major leagues? The only way to find out is to bring the guy up and. I mean, based on war, I I suppose because they go into negatives, it could be worse. But in theory, it can't be worse.
2: Yep. It's just – I mean, it's – It reminds me of the scene in Moneyball where he walks up to David Justice in the cage and says, actually, they're paying us to have you. You know, Because it's like – that's how I feel about having a negative war. It's like you are actually taking away from our product. Right. So there's no way to justify – You know, not making a move to try and get better when somebody is actually doing you harm.
0: And it's not, again, you know, like you said, Ref Snyder might be the only one they view as able to come up, but it's not like there's, it's not like the pitching where there's nobody there and the guys that are there are either having a bad season or like Nick Turley just got back to action after missing three months with an arm injury. It's not like there's nothing there. These guys are there. And again, there's going to come to a point, the Yankees are already well over the luxury tax threshold, so any money they add is going to be double taxed. But there's got to come a point where you just have to look at this and go, look, this may be what we have, but this isn't working, and we've got to at least try the alternative. Because if they miss the playoffs for a second consecutive season with a $200 million payroll and all these guys and and everything that happens,
2: it's not going to be pretty. You can't the, spend half in the media a and in, in the fan base. Dollars. It's not going to be pretty. I mean, the the one really bright picture that uh, you know everyone knows is being painted is the fact that they have signed an ace for the long term. Yes, that's more clear than it's ever been, yep. and that's huge. I mean, the Yankees haven't had an ace since the CC Sabathia of three or four years ago, but. It really is. Uh, It's got to be frustrating for Yankee fans. Uh, Half a billion dollars this offseason. And besides Tanaka, none of it has paid off.
0: And as I I think I've said to you, and I know I've said to to our boss on multiple occasions, I fully expect the Yankees between the trade deadline and the beginning of next year to to sign or acquire no less than three starting pitchers. Just because of, of what's become of the rotation. There's no depth to speak of this year as deep as they've tried to be. I mean, like you said, rotation issues could be, you know, the saving grace. But when the offense scores two runs a game,
2: even quality starts are going to lose half the time. The rotation issues could be, you know, the injuries to the lineup of last year. It's, it's right. the it's the scapegoat. It's But it doesn't exist because the Yankees' rotation is, for the most part, keeping them within games. I mean, yep. Chase Woodley just had a stinker, but yeah. he's been good. David and Phelps wasn't terrible last no. night. Six innings, two runs.
0: Vidal Nunez was amazing this weekend. Tanaka... Through Tanaka tied a major league record with his 16th straight quality start to open a career. Lost
2: 2-1. David Ross
0: hit a home run off of him, of all people.
2: It just, I don't know what uh, you would say the theme of the season has been. I mean, we watch a lot of Yankees uh, because we work for this network. My average at bat is a guy on second. There's a guy on second, and there's one out. You need a hit. And whoever's up. Grounds into the shift. Somehow at hits into base. a double play. <laughs> no, no. It's a left-handed hitter hitting into the shift at second base. It's yep. like, it's not a hit. Yeah, it moves the guy over, but it's not doing enough.
0: It's not a hit because a sack fly so doesn't score to run. Yeah, yeah,
2: that's my metaphor. It's like doing, you're close, you're close, but it's just like you're barely doing and, enough to even get
0: And by. they have these moments. Beltran was three for four the other night with a home run. Brian McCann had that bomb of a home run last weekend into the seats. They have these moments. And that's all they are. They're moments. They're not – there is no momentum in baseball, many people will tell you, because you're only as good as that day starting pitcher. But there's, there's moments, but there's no – it's flashes, but there's no brilliance, to, to put it that way. And, I mean, we have 81 games to go as of today to, to see what happens. Something. Something has to happen, good, bad, or indifferent, because right now the, this, the way the ship is sailing, it's sailing right into the rocks. And that, rocks is not the playoffs. So, I mean, that's the way it is. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. Brian Cashman's done you know, wonders it's July. before. It's, it's July, July 1st. You know, the, I think it was the 2017 was 500 at the turn and went on a tear in the second half. Guys started hitting. And they got to the playoffs. And the midges ended up being their undoing. And they had that job at that Chamberlain guy came up that year, I think, did pretty well. So, yep. you know, there's things happen, but we'll see what happens with them. Uh, the U.S. soccer team plays today, Doug, so we'll hopefully get into that next week if they're still alive. Uh, they're playing about an hour after we tape here, so we can't really talk much about it. But that's, that's what's going on in the sports world. It's, been, just, a, it's uh, been a
2: crazy week. I just saw just an awesome tweet. Uh, it's a picture of Yoda in a uh, U.S. soccer uniform, and it just the tweet is, Win, win we, win we will. When we will, I believe, when we will, I believe <laughs> do,
0: do or do not, there is no try, Yoda.
2: Oh, that's good. Well, that is good.
0: I guess that's you're gonna have stuff. to either tune to any other sports outlet or just listen to us next week to find out our thoughts on how the USA did against Belgium. Right? Other
2: sports outlets don't don't give you what we give you. no, two guys snappy in witty room. banter.
0: research, I did research today. you did a lot of good research. I'm the numbers guy that's that's the way it is. Yep. Either way, that's going to do it for this now going extremely long edition of the Yes Men. Uh, if you haven't already, subscribe to us on iTunes, rate and review us, let us know how we're doing, let us know if you like us, dislike us, are kind of ambivalent but listen to us because we're better than anything else. Let us know and we'll do our best. You can tweet at us as well at Doug Williams, yes, at Lou DePietro, yes. Um, you can go read my retrospective piece, my interview with John Flaherty, because today is the 10-year anniversary of Derek Jeter's dive into the stands against Boston. Mm-hmm. You can go check that out, and you can tune in to Yankees broadcast tonight if you're listening on Tuesday. To We have plenty of remembrance of that all throughout the programming this evening as well as on the .com. And until next week, he is Doug, I'm Lou, we're the Yes Men, and we'll see you next time.